right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time to say. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Johnny, Johnny, Johnny. By God, that's Johnny Furphy's music. Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. On FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson is out, so it's Nick Chalk Sports Talk, and we're going to spend every second of the next three hours breaking down every single frame, frame by frame, of Johnny Furphy's performance against Oklahoma State last night. Just kidding. We're not going to do that, but we are going to break that down and much more here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk today. So we'll get more into that KU Oklahoma State recap in just a minute. Coming up later on this hour, we got to get to our Pearson Collision hit of the week. And at 340, Henry Greenstein of Lawrence Turner World and KVSports.com is going to join the show. And I imagine we'll probably talk some Johnny Perfect with him as well. The K Mailbag coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. You still have time to submit questions at RCST1320 on Twitter. Or if you don't have Twitter slash X, you can also send us an email. RCST1320am at gmail.com. So hit us up any way you can. Hit me up. You still have time to submit a question for the K Mailbag coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Uh, also, the KU women's basketball team had a game last night. We'll get into that and get more into kind of a recap of what ended up being a wild night in, in Big 12 basketball on the men's side overall, just beyond the uh, KU Oklahoma State game. In the 5 o'clock hour, we'll get more to some KU basketball takeaways, and we'll hear from head coach Bill Self, who spoke with the media after the game last night uh, against Oklahoma State. RCST, as always, is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, and Kansas dominates Oklahoma State. 90-66 to 66 last night at GIA, Gallagher Iba Arena, in front of what looked like, by the end of the game, like 50 fans. I don't know. They did not have, Oklahoma State fans did not have a lot to be excited about in this game against Kansas. Kansas steamrolls them. It was just a blasting from the start. Jayhawks now 15-2, and 3-1 and in conference play, and they had their first road win in conference play also after losing on the road against UCF uh, earlier on in conference play. So, very, very impressive performance overall from Kansas, but of course, one man stands above the rest for the performance that he had, specifically in the first half, none other than Mr. Johnny Furphy. Johnny Furphy, in his second start for Kansas against Oklahoma State, just absolutely went nuts in the first half. Hit multiple three-point shots, had a dunk early to set the tone, had a couple blocks, some steals, made some nice passes in transition, and... Just a phenomenal performance from Johnny Furphy, and it seems as though KU's starting five position has been solved. You know, you look back to the Oklahoma game, and Furphy played pretty well in that game too, and the thought was, okay, nice. You know, that, that was good to see. Cool. But that was at home. That was at on Fieldhouse. Let's see what he can do on the road. Matt Tate from our one Sports on the show yesterday even mentioned that. Okay, back it up on the road. Come out on the road. It's easier to do at home. Can you do it on the road? Well, I think Furphy answered that question and then some with the way he started this game. And 
you go even further back with Elmarco Jackson to like the Wichita State game before the start of conference play. You know, he had a great game, and at that point, you're thinking, okay, Elmarco maybe is your guy heading into conference play, and then it just it just it just didn't click for him right away in conference play, and Bill Self ultimately decides to make the move to go to Johnny Furphy, and it seems to have paid off quite well for Kansas so far in the now two game sample size with him uh, in the starting lineup. So I don't even know what to say about this guy, man. He he was absolutely phenomenal. He was a stone cold killer. Hit multiple three-point shots. Had a great sequence in the first half with uh, when Kate was up 28-14 to 14, where he gets an offensive rebound, kicks it to McCuller, and then sprints to the corner. Kevin gets, gets it right back to him, drains another three from the same spot. He just hit a three or, or, from that same spot earlier in the half. Uh, he was really doing it all out there and was really, really providing a big spark for Kansas from that, uh, from that fifth starting spot. And uh, Bill Self mentioned it. We'll get to that, po- that post-game audio later on the show. Bill Self mentioned that Guys like playing with him, right? And, you know, I don't know how much of a factor that might be when it comes to trying to decide. Because if you're Kansas, obviously you your your other four starters are going to remain the same. Hunter Dickinson, KJ Adams, Kevin McCullough, Dewan Harris. Barring injury, sickness, or anything like that. that those are your other four starters. It, so those are your guaranteed four guys. And if they like playing with Furphy, and they feel comfortable playing with Furphy compared to El Marco or Nick Timberlake or whatever, that's to me. That's got to be a leg up for Furphy to start, and I, I think that's that's a little bit of a factor. I think that probably helps with him being in the starting lineup. And Furphy was just he just played like himself and played really really well. Uh, really really outstanding performance from Johnny Furphy in the first half. Didn't score it all in the second half, but Kansas didn't need him to. They were up big already at that point. So can't say enough positive things about Johnny Furphy and uh, the way that he has come along and now really emerged. You know, I, I know there was, for a long time, there were a lot of KU fans that were maybe asking for this to happen sooner, for for Johnny Furphy to start maybe sooner. But I just, my only thought on that is, you know, you're not in practice every day. I just wonder if maybe the coaching staff and Bill Self felt that Furphy needed a little more time to to really become, to really take over that starting spot. I mean, and obviously the timing ended up being with El Marco having uh, a couple bad games in a row, uh, and then that, that kind of led to the switch, but... I just wonder if maybe there wasn't some discussion being had of okay, we got to make sure that Furphy's ready because El Marco obviously has been up, kind of up and down as the starter, but if you insert Furphy in the starting lineup maybe too early and it doesn't work or or you know he's not ready quite ready for it, you don't really have any other options. I mean, Nick Timberlake is not a guy that you're going to be wanting in the starting lineup. Jamar McDowell has been hardly playing lately, so so if you're Kansas, I mean, listen, it 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 obviously right now it looks great that they put Furphy in the starting lineup, but it to a certain extent, it is a little bit of a, of a calculated risk because if you throw Furphy in the starting lineup and it doesn't work, you don't have any other options in terms of that fifth starting spot. You probably, I guess you'd have to go back to El Marco. I don't know what you would do. So there, there's cert- there was certainly some some risk involved in terms of just in terms of inserting Furphy in the starting lineup. Now, obviously, right now it, that it looks like there there wasn't any because he ended up being he's ended up playing really well the first the first two games he's been starting, but. I just wonder if there was some conversation with, within the coaching staff of, hey, you know, if we're going to make this switch, we need to make sure that we are confident that it's going to work and are confident that, that Furphy can can elevate the, the rest of the starting four guys and, and be, uh, you know, a catalyst for this, for this team in the starting lineup. And the timing seems to have worked out well for that to be the case because the guy was really, really good. And uh, he does – and Bill Self actually talked about how – Teams have kind of gone after Furphy a little bit on defense, but Furphy has some extended length that Omarco doesn't have, obviously, 
that kind of helps helps him out a little bit on the defensive side maybe too. So really, really impressive stuff. Because when you throw Furphy out there, you've now got four guys that are lengthy or really, really good defenders. Or or just or I guess with Hunter Dickinson, I mean he's not a good defender, but he's just big. Uh, but you got at that point you have KJ Adams, Kevin McCuller, and then Furphy, three guys that you feel pretty confident in defensively. Plus Dewan Harris. So the switch was made at the right time, clearly. And, you know, this was an Oklahoma State team that was coming off of a really tough week. Travel kind of talked about that on yesterday's show with kind of what they had to deal with, uh, you know, showing up on game day for a couple games, had a game delayed because they didn't get in to almost the original tip time against Iowa State. And it felt like this was kind of, if there was ever a chance for Oklahoma State to feel like they had a chance to salvage their season, it was this game, right? Coming back home against Kansas, teams always you know, turn up for, for, for Kansas when they come into town. But uh, Oklahoma State just did not have it. They just they just didn't have it from the start. They didn't look interested. They did not look like they wanted to be anywhere near that basketball game. And Kansas obviously jumped on that even more and, and really took care of business. KU shot, 60, KU shot 62% from the field in the game. Uh, it, very, very impressive. Uh, they were hitting a lot of shots and getting a lot of quality shots. Kevin McCuller shot the ball well. Hunter Dickinson was efficient. Even Dewan Harris was efficient with 11 points. Uh, all five starters scored in double figures. And I think it, when that happens for Kansas, good luck. I mean, seriously, good luck. Good luck. Hunter Dickinson dominant again. Led all scores with 21 points. K.J. Adams quietly elite with 16 points, by the way. He also had a really, really great first half. All the attention goes to Johnny Furphy, I think, given the circumstances and the storyline around that fifth starting spot. But K.J. Adams also had a great first half. And one thing about K.J. Adams that I think maybe doesn't get talked about enough is his durability. And obviously he's a great athlete, so you would think that means that he's, he's in really great shape. But, dude, this is a guy that it feels like to me time and time again, especially on the defensive glass, he just ends up on the floor somehow, either getting knocked down, diving after ball, doing something, and he just he's he's never had any problems with injuries. Knock, knock on wood, but uh, he he's his durability. I thought, uh, or I think, is just something that consistently goes kind of maybe under discussed uh, because he's a guy that is he he's a guy that puts his body on the line quite a bit. I think, uh, and the fact that he he is able to to continue to be effective and continue to to maintain that level of athleticism throughout a game, pretty impressive stuff. Uh, so. KJ Adams also wanted to give him a, a little bit of a nod there for for quietly having a, another really really good game. Uh, I guess the the one major thing for Kansas that maybe still is a little bit of a concern is you're still not getting much from the bench. Uh, Elmarco Jackson didn't provide much. Bill Self touched on Elmarco and said that he kind of thought that Elmarco didn't really get a chance to to kind of warm into the game. Only had, only played 13 minutes with uh, two points off the bench. Kansas got a total of nine points off their bench. If I can do some math right, yeah, nine points off their bench total in the game. So 81 from your starters, nine from your bench. Uh, and obviously, you know, one of those was a jank three that came in, in garbage time. Uh, so I, I don't know. I don't know how much the, the concern about the bench really still needs to be there. But at the same time, and I don't know that I've ever, I don't know that if, if I've ever articulated this really clearly on, uh, here, but the bench talk, the bench concern, I get it to a certain extent, and I have been someone who has said, you know, hey, I don't like the fact that you do have to play some of these guys 35 minutes a night plus uh, because you don't necessarily have a deep bench. But I will say this. KU is not going, like, the bench is not going to be, I think, the thing that determines whether or not KU is going to win in March or not, right? 
the, the bench could be could determine why they lose in March, but it's not going to be you're not going to win games because of your the bench. I don't think right now if you're Kansas, you're going to win games because you have an elite starting four now maybe starting five with Furphy. You have a really really elite starting four or five, probably one of the best in the country, and those dudes are gonna are gonna carry right, and the bench for Kansas at this point, their role is to just simply when they're on the floor. Just don't screw it up. You know, I don't think anybody's asking the bench to do anything too crazy or to go out and score. And so that that's where I that's where I kind of land right now on the bench talk is I like I said, I am someone who has been apprehensive about the fact that, you know, you have to play these play some of these guys, Dewan Harris, Kevin McCuller, and even like Hunter Dickinson a lot of minutes night in and night out, which I don't love. But when it comes down to push and shove in March you're not going to win it. I don't think Kansas, this Kansas team is going to be winning a game because of the play of their bench. Like I said, they could lose it if the bench really struggles and 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 the the moments in the game where those starters do need a do need a breather and the bench really struggles, they could lose a game for you. But I think this team obviously goes through their starting four, now starting five, including Furphy. That's that 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 they go as far as those guys go, really. Uh, and the bench is just simply there to again, kind of not. Let it get away whenever they're on the floor. So, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of leaning back, back and forth on that about where I kind of feel about the bench. I, I think right now in the regular season, I do still have a little bit of concern about just the, the, the number of minutes played. But I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm kind of going back and forth on that one. So, well, I guess we'll see how things continue to play out here over the rest of January into February and then through the rest of conference play. Uh, but I just, I just think that they're, they're. They go as their starters go, and I don't think that's really groundbreaking analysis either. I think it's pretty clear that that's the case. It's just that, uh, to that end, what at that point, what do you need from the bench? And I think it's not so much again about the bench coming in and and continue and expecting to, you know, make some plays happen and things. It's more about just kind of holding the line, I guess, so to speak. Uh, and in this game, Bill Self in his post game press conference kind of mentioned how he didn't sub anybody for the first ten minutes, and and. This makes total sense with Bill Self's philosophy. He's, his answer was basically, you know, hey, we were on a roll, and I didn't want to stop that. Simple. Easy. Makes sense, right? Makes sense. So, uh, but yeah, it seems like Furphy has solidified himself. Dewan Harris, 11 points in the game. He was pretty good. Uh, Kevin McCuller, 7-14 uh, from the floor. Finished with 18 points, 6 rebounds. Hunter Dickinson was, was good again. KJ Adams, again, I think quietly probably had the second-best game. Behind for I mean, I guess second best first half behind Furphy. Get game overall probably, you know he was still really really good. But but uh, again, KJ plays thirty four minutes. Kevin thirty five, Furphy thirty three, Dewan and Hunter both a little over thirty, almost thirty one. And that's a game where you win by twenty four. So, but again, maybe that I don't, I don't know that that'll matter down the stretch. But it's just something to keep in mind. Uh. I do wonder if this game was possibly more, a little bit more of an indictment of, of Oklahoma State being really, really terrible than it is maybe telling how good KU is. I mean, I think besides Furphy, like, you know, when it comes to like Hunter Dickinson, and I think even Kevin McCullers now reached that, that level, and maybe even KJ Adams also, for those three guys, in a game like this, it's I mean, it's hard to have real grandiose takeaways, right? Like this is just another night at the office for those guys. Twenty one for, for Dickinson, eighteen for Kevin, and sixteen for Kate. Like that's just a, that's just another day. Uh, so it's uh, when you're 
so again, I, I don't I don't know if this game was maybe more of an indictment of how terrible Oklahoma State is, and I guess we'll see what they do throughout the rest of conference play, but they looked like a completely lifeless team. I don't know how they don't move on from Mike Boynton, maybe even in the season at this point. I don't I don't know, because it was not good at all for them. But uh, nice to see KU completely take advantage of that and really pummel them and not let them have the opportunity to find any sort of life in that game. Because, again, you know, you may have been sitting back in your chair watching that game thinking, okay, KU's up 31-14, 17 points. Well, they were just here against UCF, and they blew it. And that didn't happen uh, in this game against Oklahoma State. Uh, I mentioned yesterday before the game that Oklahoma State probably needed to have a really, really good night from beyond the arc to, to compete against Kansas. And that did not happen. Javon Small, their 40% three-point shooter, was 0-4. But somehow Bryce Thompson still ended up having a great game. He scored 20 points uh, against Kansas. He seems to always find a way to, to do well against the Jayhawks. He went 3-7 of seven from beyond the arc. But just six made threes for Oklahoma State in the game. Uh, when you're a bad team like that and you're really overmatched against this Kansas team and you can't make threes, that's going to lead to some problems. And in this case, it led to a 24-point loss for uh, for Oklahoma State. So Kansas wins 90 to 66. No, again, not sure how many more road games you're going to get like this if you're KU, where it's just a comfortable, dominant win. Hunter Dickinson had a comment after the game, which we'll get to that audio on tomorrow's show. Uh, he basically said that he felt like Kansas was due for something like this to happen, but I don't know how many more times this is going to happen throughout the season. Uh, but if there was another opportunity for it to possibly happen, you're playing a, a, a bad West Virginia team on Saturday. So maybe it happens again in Morgantown. But biggest thing is Kansas kept their head on the swivel. They didn't become complacent uh, on the road and kept their kept their pedal to the metal, and it led to a, to a big win. Uh, biggest takeaways from this game, Johnny Furphy is the way, man. I mean, he, he is the way. He, he is He's electric. He brings a lot of confidence, a lot of energy and can do a lot of different things really well that uh, really seems to fit in nicely with the rest of these four starters for Kansas. So uh, really, really great to see. OSU, really bad, man. Those, those boys are not very good. Uh, so we'll see what they do throughout the rest of conference play. And uh, this was just a, a great win, nice confidence-building win on the road for Kansas uh, to get them to get everyone feeling, feeling good again about uh, the trajectory of this Kansas program. You know, uh, Part of the business of KU fans, and a little bit on this show too, is – Maybe overreacting too strongly one way or the other about results from Kansas basketball, but you got to feel pretty good about this one. Got to feel pretty good about this one. All right, we'll take a time out here. We'll get to our Pearson Collision Hit of the Week coming up. Henry Greenstein is going to join the show in a little over 15 minutes from right now to talk more about this performance for Kansas basketball. I want to talk a little Kansas football with him about the Lance Leipold stuff as well. So Henry Greenstein joining the show at 3.40. Coming up at the 4 o'clock hour, we'll get to our KU Mailbag. Still have time if you want to head to our Twitter or X at RCST1320. You can still have time to submit some questions for the KU mailbag. That's coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Also want to get to some KU women's basketball talk. They had a game last night against Texas. Unfortunately, didn't go that great for KU. Uh, plus, it ended up being a pretty wild night around the Big 12. So I want to get into that a little bit more in the 4 o'clock hour. And in the 5 o'clock hour, we'll get more to some KU basketball takeaways. And uh, we'll hear from Bill Self coming up later on in the show as well. Also going to hear from you can hear from Bill Self tonight coming up after RCST right here on KLWN with Hawk Talk at 6 o'clock here on KLWN. All right, we'll take a time out. Pearson Collision Hit of the Week coming up next. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Almost half past three here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer, Derek Johnson out. Nick Chalk Sports Talk. 
today here. Henry Greenstein will join the show here coming up in just about 10 minutes or so from the Lawrence Turner World and KUSports.com. Talk more about uh, KU football and KU basketball. Right now it's time to get to our Pearson Collision Hit of the Week, brought to you by Pearson Collision. Just like you, Pearson Collision loves to celebrate a great hit in KU football or KU basketball, but in your car, not so much. Quality work, every job, Pearson Collision in Lawrence. So we've been kind of doing this where it's like, you know, with the hit of the week in basketball, it's hit the three or, you know, big, something like that. Uh, last week we actually went with the Ernest Uday hitting the face of Hunter Dickinson with the with the elbow. Uh, so it's it's kind of uh, up to interpretation on the basketball side, however uh, you want to do this. But I think there is one pretty clear winner here that I think definitely deserves to be the uh, hit of the week. And that is none other than one Mr. Nicholas Timberlake just absolutely yamming on a guy. Actually, fun fact, the guy that he yammed on was Bryce Thompson. So uh, Nick Timberlake in transition, gets a pass from Johnny Furphy, goes up one-handed, and just absolutely slams it down over Bryce Thompson. Uh, I think that's got to be the clear option. There, the, the Furphy dunk early in the game, by the way, was pretty cool too. He gets a run-out dunk uh, for – it was like the second basket of the game for Kansas. Uh, you could also say one of the Furphy threes. Uh, there was the sequence with Furphy where he gets a block, and then that leads to a three at the other end from Furphy as well. So Furphy, I think, had some good, had some good options there. But to me, to me, I think it was pretty clear – Nick Timberlake getting up and just absolutely dunking on Bryce Thompson uh, definitely deserves to be the the hit of the week for this week. Timberlake, by the way, ended up he only played nine minutes with just those two points, but he had two steals and two rebounds as well in the game. Went one for two from the floor. So, you know, maybe that's a more realistic expectation for Timberlake is he plays ten-ish minutes and maybe gets two, four, five points. Maybe it's a three, maybe not. I don't know, but. But man, that dunk last night—that should have been—that should have counted for more than two points. I think there should—it it should be that way. Like if you—if you posterize a guy or if you just absolutely yam on a guy, I almost think it should be worth more than two points. Like if you're able to do that, if you're able to just full extension, especially with the one hand, the way that Timberlake did it, just absolutely rattle in the rim like that. I almost think that that should be worth more than more than two points. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. We'll have to brainstorm on that one, but there, there's, there. I mean, there's just something really, really awesome about that, especially when you're on the road. And great play there. Uh, Hunter Dickinson said that uh, Timberlake was bringing back the Townsend highlights, which I think KU and KU fans would love that because if you watch his Townsend highlights, he's he does a lot of that, and it's very impressive. Uh, so that would be pretty cool, pretty cool if he could do more of that. Uh, so Timberlake, uh, well, I wanted to give him the shout out there. So. He'll get the uh, the hit of the week this week for him, uh, for presented by Pearson Collision. So that gets him on the basketball leaderboard. He's the first guy on the leaderboard now. Uh, or he's not the first guy, but this is his first appearance on the leaderboard with now one appearance. Uh, recap, KJ Adams has two appearances on the leaderboard. Kevin McCuller won. Elmarco Jackson won. Ernest Uday, uh, honorary mention, honorable mention with one uh, from TCU for the elbow to the face to uh, Hunter Dickinson. And now Nick Timberlake with that uh, awesome dunk that he had. Uh, in football, it was Austin Booker who had three to finish up football season. Kobe Bryant had two. J.B. Brown had two. Kobe Bryant, I think, probably had the best one. We gave it to him for the BYU hit on the uh, forced fumble of the touchdown uh, that he had against BYU. So that's probably still the best. Although this Tim- this this Timberlake dunk may be the best of the basketball ones that we've, that we've had so far in basketball season. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe Nick Timberlake can 
can uh, continue to build his confidence a little bit and and be more uh, have more off the bench for Kansas. All right, so Nick Timberlake gets our Pearson collision hit of the week with that massive dunk. Pearson knows accidents happen, understands the stress and pressure. Pearson embodies trusted experience, meticulous repair, and they work with your insurance. Pearson Collision, 7th in Connecticut here in Lawrence. And if you're looking for a job opportunity, Pearson is always looking to add to their team of artists. A rewarding career with awesome pay, paid holidays, and weekends off. Pearson Collision Repair strives to hire only the best, and they want you to apply. If you are committed to excellence, want career growth, and want career growth, come join the award-winning team at Pearson Collision. You can go to Pearson, you can go to the Pearson Collision Repair page on Facebook and apply. All right, coming up on the other side, we're going to be joined by Henry Greenstein from the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com. We'll talk more about that big win for Kansas on the basketball court. I also want to ask him about his thoughts on uh, what happened over the weekend with Lance Leipold deciding to stay at Kansas, so we'll get to that. Also, uh, coming up at the 4 o'clock hour, we're going to get to our KU mailbag. Still time, still time to possibly submit a question if you have one to uh, our on our social media at RCST1320 on Twitter or X. So you still have time to maybe go submit one final question before we get to our mailbag in the 4 o'clock hour. We'll take a timeout. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind. And they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Aletha. Welcome back into Rock Talk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson is out. So it's a little bit of Nick Chalk Sports Talk here on RCST today. And on Wednesdays, as always, we are joined by Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com. Henry fresh off of his trip back from Oklahoma State to see KU defeat Oklahoma State 90-66. But, Henry, before we get into that, I, I do want to ask you about what happened over the weekend with KU football with Lance Leipold. Uh, ultimately seemingly deciding to turn down Washington to stay at Kansas. Uh, I guess with how things unfolded over that sort of maybe hour or so of kind of panicky situation for KU, uh, how important was that? How significant was that to you that uh, Lance Leipold ultimately ended up deciding to stay uh, at Kansas? Well, obviously massively significant. I, I mean, I keep telling people that was one of the fastest news cycles I've ever seen. I, I mean, you, you go from a tiny bit of anxiety to among the fan base to full-blown panic in the span of, like, 15 minutes. Then you've got a football scoop report saying he's the target of the coaching search, and those guys don't get stuff wrong. And then nine minutes after that, uh, Lance has, has basically all but said he's staying. So that was a, that was a really dramatic event. You know, the night before, I had read some posts on message boards of people worrying about it. I was like, what are these people even concerned about? But... Yeah, when the national champion comes calling, or national runner-up, rather, that's that's a, a, a serious offer, and it, it says a lot about Lance's commitment to Kansas that if he was in that conversation as deep as he appears to be, that, that he decided to stay there. Uh, I can only imagine what the KU football program would look like if he left, because, uh, well, I mean, you don't need to look very hard to see what happens if a head coaching hire goes wrong, and we don't necessarily know if anyone else could sustain the progress that, that Lance has made here. So certainly a massive victory for KU to keep him here. 
Um, you know, the, there may be a Michigan coaching search in the near future. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Glypold's name brought up yet again for that. But at least as of now, it seems like a, a significant milestone for Travis Goff to keep him here at Kansas. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Travis Goff because I just wonder how much do you think the relationship between Lance Leipold and Travis Goff maybe played into this kind of how how things unfolded over the over the weekend with him ultimately deciding to stay at KU. Well, uh, Lance talks constantly about the alignment that he has with both Travis and Chancellor Gerard, so it's not a huge surprise to me um, to see him continue to stay even as appealing opportunities present themselves. Uh, you really can't say that about some of the past pairings uh, of KU coaches and athletic directors. Uh, I guess not only in football, but maybe even in other sports from time to time. And certainly a lot of other schools, you see clashes when those two don't necessarily have their priorities straight. I think of recently at K-State with the men's basketball program and the whole uh, Naquan Tomlin thing. It was, a, at least from externally, appeared to be that the coach, AD, and president all had all had different things they were interested in. Um, and we haven't really seen that at KU recently simply because of how on the same page Goff seems to be with his various coaches. Uh, moving on to Kansas basketball. Last night, a dominating victory for KU on the road in Stillwater, 90-66. Uh, Johnny Furphy making a second consecutive start for Kansas, and he just goes off in the first half. What, what maybe impressed you most about Johnny Furphy's performance in that first half of that game? Um, I thought that he did a great job using his length on defense in ways we haven't always seen. Uh, that block he got on Javon Small to set up Nick Timberlake's dunk was a sort of play he hasn't made in the past, just basically deleting that shot and making an excellent outlet pass. Usually he's the one running the floor in transition, and certainly we saw more of that. Um, it was also just good to see him start out strong shooting usually he misses a few to start out and has to kind of persist with it which is in and of itself a good quality for a young player to have but uh, it was also a refreshing change to see him start out strong and and also most of all i think to play 33 minutes um you know self had said that against oklahoma he was kind of gassed in the second half and that's why he didn't play more uh so to see him play 33 minutes on the road running up and down the floor uh, is invaluable especially for a team that has had its starters, its other starters play exorbitant numbers of minutes at times this year. If he can just physically be out there on the floor and be a big body more, that, that'll be really good for the Jayhawks. Bill Self mentioned post-game that the other guys just like playing with him. I just wonder, how much do you think maybe that aspect of just the, the other starters saying, hey, you know, this guy, we like playing with this guy. He's fun to play with. How much do you think maybe that plays into Johnny ultimately kind of taking over the starting the starting spot and having success with the past two games? I think it plays into it very significantly. I mean, that was something that, that uh, he was talking about much earlier in the season when it was discussed what he wanted from the fifth starting spot. And uh, if, if they can indeed get a fit like that, you might as well keep riding it. I mean, that's not necessarily a negative thing about Marco Jackson, but certainly, yeah, I mean, he produces well with the ball in his hands. Whereas maybe Furphy is better at cutting off the ball, so so that that could be a bit of a better fit. Uh, you know, the, the length he provides can be helpful, even if he's not as disciplined of a defender as El Marco right now. So yeah, I, I think just making a starting line decision in service of a general vibe is, is not without merit for sure. Yeah, when you think about El Marco, and I, I think you know, going back to large parts of non-conference play, it seemed like maybe the consensus was. 
okay, El Marco maybe has the highest ceiling of kind of these other guys with Johnny Furphy, Nick Timberlake, even Jamar McDowell at, at times. It seemed like maybe the, 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 the thought process was, okay, El Marco maybe has the highest ceiling uh, of these guys. Uh, do you think that's still true considering what we've seen from Johnny Furphy and just this, this two-game sample size of him kind of getting more extended run and, and starting for KU? That's tough to say at, at this point. I mean, certainly it seems like he, he's further along than El Marco is, but I still believe that, as Bill Self said earlier in the year, El Marco hitting his ceiling is like the most directly relevant to KU hitting his ceiling. I still think that if they can get an El Marco Jackson who is more aggressive on offense, who hits shots at a greater rate for, from outside the paint, and who maintains some of the promise on defense that we've seen earlier this year, I still think that could be a direct key to this team going as far as it possibly can. Now, that's not to say that Johnny Furphy, uh, like developing super quickly, wouldn't have a similar effect. But I, I think it's important to not to discount the fact that uh, Omarco has only been playing basketball for so long, I believe four, four and a half years, compared to a lot of people who have grown up playing it. Um, he, he still has a lot of work to do to reach his full potential, but when he does, I believe that could be really, really beneficial to KU. Do you think Johnny Furphy is starting to maybe become what the ceiling of like a Nick Timberlake was or what K was maybe hoping when they got Nick Timberlake? Because Furphy goes three or four from beyond the arc in this game against Oklahoma State and seems like a really quality shooter from the corner. Uh, do you think it seems like he's maybe becoming what sort of the hope was that Nick Timberlake could potentially be? I don't know exactly. I think I think they're like 30 degrees off from each other. Like I, I think that Timberwake was expected to be a bit more of a high-volume shooter, and as I've been saying all along, I think Furphy's best offensive game is above the rim and in transition, despite the fact that he's also a good shooter. I also think that uh, Furphy, they think of more highly as a rebounder than they ever did for Timberlake, and you can see why. I mean, he kind of goes in there with reckless abandon and snags offensive rebounds quite well. But no, I I think they, they fill slightly different profiles. However, I do think that the spacing they're getting on the floor from Furphy's shot is what they hoped Timberlake would provide. And they need that because if you have, I mean, we saw it against Missouri when Omarco was in there, they were playing way off him uh, in order to clog up the lane so that Dickinson couldn't do as much with Furphy. You can't play far off him. And he showed that yesterday. So from that perspective, just in terms of the dimensions of the floor and, and the approach of an opposing defense, I do agree that Furphy is playing some of the role that Timberlake was expected to. With a with a starting four slash five now with Furphy being this dominant right now for Kansas, you know they score eighty one of KU's ninety points. All five all five players uh, in the starting lineup got double figures for for Kansas in the game. I guess is there still a concern for you about the the bench production? Is there still a concern about what the bench could be? Or I guess basically when you have the uh, when you have the starting five being this good. Does it really matter maybe long-term and once Kansas gets into, into March? I do think it matters because in any given game, someone could pick up three fouls in the first half and then all of a sudden the whole team has been reshaped. From that perspective, yes, I think it does matter. Um, however, I do think that, there, that everyone on the bench has shown encouraging signs with the possible exception of Jamari McDowell, who hasn't really done much of anything recently, good or bad. Um, I think Parker has shown himself to be pretty serviceable as Hunter's backup. Obviously, he could stand to do more on the offensive end, but he's held up fairly well on defense. He took a nice charge yesterday. 
I think uh, El Marco, I, I really do think that off the bench is a good role for him, it seems, because, just because of the boost of energy he can provide. Um, but as self said, Pokemon, he didn't really get the chance to do much yesterday. And then Timberlake, I, I mean, he seems to be building confidence game by game. I understand the expectations from entering the year were a lot more than like the four or five points he seems to be reliably scoring, but he has been quite, quite good in the last few. I, I think he's stealthily coming up, and while he's not near what he was expected to do, he's certainly way ahead of the the, the rock bottom people thought he might attain, like two, three weeks ago. You touched on El Marco there, still feeling like he needs he's a guy that if he hits a ceiling that could take KU the furthest. I guess at this point in the season, though, considering KU is now a couple weeks into conference play, what do you think El Marco needs to do to maybe recapture some of that and get back to, to a level where you think he can hit that ceiling? Because it seems like for the time being, he's not going to be getting as min- nearly as many minutes with Furphy playing the way he's playing. So how, how do you think El Marco still can do that? Does it, does it just have to happen in practice, or can he just keep building it in games? Or how do you think he gets to that eventually? Well, I would love to see the staff put the ball in his hands a little bit more. I understand he's not the best scoring option they have, but I was encouraged to see him sub in for Dewan Harris yesterday. I know that was just because Dewan accrued an early foul, but I was encouraged to see that because it provides a sort of lineup in which Marco has a chance to create a little bit off the dribble. Um, I think that would be valuable for him. But, yeah, you know, Nick Timberlake said yesterday that he's approaching every practice as if it's a game. Um, I, I think that that statement would would apply well to all of KU's. Well, I, I'm still going to say five through nine players at this point, um, because I mean, in recent games, it's turned out the people who who we hear are doing well in practice. That often translates quite well. Um, I certainly think that's a good venue for El Marco to hone his game further. You mentioned Dewan Harris. There are 11 points in the game for for Kansas. So that that crazy stat of when he scores in double figures, KU wins. That continues to happen. Also, three steals in the game uh, against Oklahoma State. You know, the microscope was really kind of on him for a few weeks as maybe being a guy that wasn't playing up to up to snuff. Do you feel like maybe he's kind of gotten past that and he seems like he's more comfortable and, and, and is ready to, to continue moving forward with this with the, with this team? I, I would say that we've gotten past that, though. I know this is kind of a pet issue for KU fans, uh, the, the whole DeWan Harrison to shoot more thing. So I wouldn't count on that storyline vanishing entirely. That said, I thought he was very good yesterday. I thought he defended exceptionally well. You know, he didn't get his normal assist numbers, but but he was really good on offense. He was decisive. Um, I thought that was a really high-quality performance from Dewan Harris, and obviously that completes, and I just wrote about this, that completes the sort of five starters scoring and double figures thing that we hadn't seen all year. And I think that provides a blueprint to some extent as to what KU's offense could look like going forward with everyone chipping in and doing their part. And Dewan is the engine who, who keeps that offense running. Yeah, when you think about the other three guys, Kevin McCuller, KJ Adams, and Hunter Dickinson, and, and just – what they've been doing on a nightly basis, you know, 21 points for Dickinson, 18 for McCuller, 16 for KJ Adams. I feel like it's almost it almost becomes a little bit difficult to really evaluate them in games like this because those are just regular days of the office for them. But I guess for those guys, well, what did you see maybe out of them in this game against Oklahoma State that, that you think can translate even more going forward in conference play? Yeah, well, I mean, I'll start with Hunter. Uh, as we've seen in quite a few games, KU went to Dickinson early and often, lots of close entry passes, but in this game, it really worked and seemed to set the tone. I mean, after a few early possessions where he was able to make some close-range shots, he basically did that for the rest of the game. He, he sank a hook shot from basically every angle where you can sink a hook shot. 
Um, and Oklahoma State, despite having a McDonald's All-American at center, was not really able to do much to stop him. So that was, that was one thing. Kevin McCuller, I thought it was nice to see a game where he didn't accrue all of his points on free throws. Of course, they all count the same. But uh, this was a game where he was consistent throughout, which he hasn't always been, and he consistently made shots. I think he was 7 of 14. Pretty good stat line. And, again, I, I mean, not that there's anything wrong with, with going, like, 5 of 12 and then 10 of 11 on free throws, but uh, it, it, it provides some con- longer-term con- confidence about your offensive that's the focal point when you make a lot of shots. And then with KJ, he, he's really starting to work in that jumper. I, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. I think it's certainly good from the perspective of uh, making defenses respect him. Again, like what, with what I said with El Marco, so that they can't clog up the paint for Hunter. Um, I think it could potentially be a negative because that's not always the best shot you can get on a given possession, but I think KJ understands his role within the offense and he won't take that shot when there's a better one available. So, yeah, the, the KJ Adams jumper numbers have really spiked in these last couple games, and I'll be interested to see how that progresses going forward. Kansas with a big win against Oklahoma State. They're going to be on the road again coming up this weekend in Morgantown, a place that historically KU has not always done super well in, but uh, West Virginia, one of the bottom feeders of the Big 12 once again, but uh, I just wonder with Kansas after this win against Oklahoma State, what they're how locked in they're going to be again going on the road against against the West Virginia team that's struggling. But kind of what what are maybe what are you maybe wanting to see from that game uh, when Kansas goes up to Morgantown? I think they'll be locked in pretty well. I, I, I think they they made their statement that they can jump out ahead and then extend the lead instead of watching it dwindle. I think they'll try to do the same thing. They'll try to quiet the crowd early. I suspect this crowd could be more invested for a weekend game than the weeknight crowd at Gallagher Iowa was uh, yesterday. Um, I'd like to see consistency from, from Johnny Furphy. Just, he's now had two good performances in a row. A third would go a long way toward proving he can do it repeatedly. Um, I'd like to see Bill Self incorporate his bench a bit more. Strangely, despite the fact that KU was ahead for 20, by 20 points for like the entirety of yesterday's game, it really feels like, I mentioned Jamari McDowell for one thing, it really feels like the bench players didn't get much of an opportunity to make their mark. Uh, and I think part of that is because Self didn't substitute much because things were going well, and that's valid. Um, but just from an analytical perspective, I'd be very interested to see how some of those younger bench players can do in a road environment. Um, and, yeah, just uh, I, I think KU needs to continue to assert itself when it has a lead as it did yesterday that and wichita state are really the only games where we've seen it build a lead and i think that's going to be really important because basketball is a game of runs as they say and uh, ku has shown a knack for conceding runs so when it can make a few of its own that can be really important kansas on the road in morgantown against west virginia on saturday and uh, you can be sure to check out the coverage at KUSports.com. Henry, thanks so much, as always, for your time. Do you have anything specific on KUSports.com right now that you want people to, to go check out? Yeah, I'll have a feature coming out tomorrow about uh, Bill Skinny Johnson, the center from the 1930s whose number is getting retired on Monday for the Cincinnati game. Talk to his family, talk to Coach Self a little bit. I, I think it'll provide a nice portrait of a, of a forgotten KU star who – reshapes the game in some ways and so yeah keep an eye out for that awesome once again he is henry greenstein of lawrence turner world and kusports.com henry appreciate your time as always man
All right. Thank you. All right. That was Henry Greenstein, Lawrence Turner World and KUSports.com, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. We're going to get to our KU mailbag coming up to start the 4 o'clock hour. Also want to get into a little bit of KU women's basketball coming up later on in the 4 o'clock hour. We'll have more on KU men's basketball in the 5 o'clock hour. Also got uh, some press conference audio from Bill Self coming up in the 5 o'clock hour as well. One hour down, two to go here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 107 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson out today. And uh, we just finished up a good conversation with Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World. In case you missed that, be sure to check it out later on tonight on the Best of RCSD podcast. Anywhere you get your podcast. Uh, we'll get more into some KU basketball coming up later on in the five o'clock hour. Do want to touch on everything else that happened to the Big 12 in the world of basketball last night because it was kind of a wild night, really in uh, Big 12 basketball. That'll, that'll be coming up later on in the 4 o'clock hour. And also got some Bill Self post-game audio coming up later on in the 5 o'clock hour as well. But right now, it is time for my favorite segment of the week, as always. That's right. The KU Mailbag here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Once again, thank you, as always, to everyone that submitted questions. You can always submit questions to us at RCST1320 on Twitter uh, or via email if you're not on social media, rcst1320am at gmail.com. Uh, so once again, thanks to everyone that submitted questions. And even if you want to submit a question now, we don't get to it on today's show. We'll definitely get to it on a future show uh, because we love hearing from uh, from you guys, listeners, and uh, having questions for our mailbag. All right, the first question of the KML bag comes from Ted. Best and worst things about 2024 so far? Well, I can certainly tell you the worst thing about 2024 so far, and that has been how terribly, terribly cold and snowy it has been over the past like week and a half now. Uh, absolutely brutal. Uh, here in Lawrence, by the way, the temperature today was like 35, and I stepped outside and I was like, wow, this is actually like, I'm sweating. This is hot. Like I'm literally, this this feels really, really good after just days of negative wind chills and, you know, crappy, crappy weather. So uh, that's probably the worst thing about 2024 so far was the weather. Uh, I'm trying to think. What other things have been sucky about 2024? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's been fine, I guess. It's been fine. In terms of the best things, hmm, well, I don't know. I'm never very good at this kind of stuff. Uh, I guess for Derek, he's not here, but I guess for Derek, the best thing about 2024 would be his new baby. That would be pretty cool, I guess. Or I don't know. Maybe I guess it could be the worst. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but uh, for me, best thing so far. Mm, dude, I don't know, man. I, I really, I mean, it's, I, I'm not trying to sound like it's been a terrible 2024 so far, but I don't know. I'm having a hard time coming up with anything that's really been the best thing so far. Uh, I guess that, I guess. The Chiefs looking not terrible so far in 2024 has been pretty cool. I mean, you think about the Christmas Day debacle they had against the Raiders. They end up beating the Bengals. Uh, then they play the Chargers where they rested everybody, but they get they beat the Dolphins now heading into the Bills game. That's pretty cool. That's been cool to not uh, want to <laughs> want to rip my hair out because the Chiefs suck, which they kind of do still suck. But that's a conversation for another day. Uh, hmm. I don't know. I mean, we, we talked about this to start the to start the year with New Year's resolutions. I don't I didn't really have any specifically, other than just to try to like live in the moment more, I guess. Which I've done a decent job of that, I suppose. So uh, I don't know. Yeah, 
2024 has been objectively fine so far, I think, uh, from my perspective. So thanks so much for asking that question, Ted. On to our uh, next question from James. You can add five inches to one KU men's basketball player. Height, wingspan, vertical, etc. Who and why? Well, I think all things being the same, there's a couple interesting options here. What if you just made Hunter Dickinson seven seven? I mean, what if you what if you just made him seven seven, and he was just he just he becomes even better than what he already is now in terms of his height and everything. Like the way that I'm it, the way that I am taking this question is that like everything stays the same. So basically, Hunter Dickinson would still have all the skills he has now. He would just be five inches taller. That sounds pretty good. That sounds pretty good. I, but then I started thinking about, and you know, I always like to approach these questions sometimes from like the value perspective. Like, what are you getting the most value? Like, does adding five inches to Hunter Dickinson really give you the most value overall to the KU team? I'm not sure. But what if you give five? What if you made KJ Adams five inches taller? KJ Adams suddenly becomes seven two. I think he's listed at six seven. So he would, or I guess he'd become seven foot. He'd become seven foot. Imagine you have. Hunter Dickinson at 7-2. And then here comes KJ Adams, who is just this elite athlete that can do everything. And he's also seven feet tall. Now, again, I understand it's kind of unrealistic, but I'm again I like to operate on the assumption of everything remains the same. You just add five inches to a guy. KJ a seven foot KJ Adams, I think, would be just absolutely wild. And I'm kind of in love with that answer. <clears throat> really. Uh I guess in terms of like because I think height definitely gives you the most bang for your buck if you're looking to add to a player. I guess for wingspan, like, I don't know, maybe if you you add five inches to Kevin McCullough's wingspan, does he become the greatest defender in college basketball? But he's already kind of close to that anyways. I, I don't know. Does that really does that really give you that much? I'm not really sure. Uh, you, you know, you could make Dewan Harris jump five inches taller, but what does that really add? Again, not really sure. Maybe if you added it to like El Marco Jackson, that would be kind of crazy, I guess, if he could just jump out of his shoes. Um, I don't know. I kind of really like the idea of making KJ Adams seven feet tall. I think I like that one a lot. Uh, or maybe, yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, like Johnny Furphy, you give him an extra wingspan. All of a sudden, he becomes, you know, the world's greatest defender. I don't know. But I, I my top two that I like the most are... You make Hunter Dickinson 7'7", seven, seven, or you make KJ Adams 7 feet tall, because at that point, it's just, I mean, I feel like that's unstoppable. I feel like if you do either one of those things, it, it becomes completely, completely unstoppable. Uh, so those would probably be my top two answers that I like the most uh, for that answer. I mean, 7 foot KJ Adams, plus already all the other things that he's able to do, I mean, that's just, that's the Terminator. You've literally just created the Terminator. That's, that's real scary stuff. Like... I'm almost scared for scared for society if we do that. Like what what I mean, he could who knows what he could do with that kind of power. <laughs> so uh, this question comes from High Note KU. Should KU's poor record against the spread and nets downgrading the of them for it to be considered actually more of an indictment of the odds makers? And for that matter, how much are odds makers affecting a team's tournament seed? Yeah, actually, uh, so last, or I guess this would have been maybe two Fridays ago, uh, Graham Dorn, Graham Dorn Bracketology, you can check him out, check out his work, uh, Graham Dorn Bracketology, he, he was on the show, and I thought he gave a really, really insightful answer about the fact that, yes, when you look at KU metrically, that some of the metrics don't love them. When you when you look at, like, the net rankings, when you look at uh, Ken Palm, 
you even look at like a Bart Torvik type site, uh, Kansas was was in the low teens or even in the 20s, I think, in, the, in some of those cases. Now, after the Oklahoma State win, they jumped back up to 14 in Ken Palm. And I think Ken Palm definitely has some flaws to it, especially. The thing about Ken Palm that kind of drives me insane, and, and Derek and I have had these conversations kind of off air a little bit, with Ken Palm, you get rewarded more for beating a bad team by 30 than you do for beating a good team by, like, six. Does that make sense, right? So, like, if you blow out a bad team, that helps your metrics more than if you beat a really, really good team by less, uh, which can be, again, I think a bit frustrating. So that's, I think that's why you saw Kansas, especially on, the, on Ken Palm particularly, not being as high because you look at their wins. They, we, I mean, we talked about it on the show. They haven't, they haven't really truly blown anybody out. Even the bad teams they play, they didn't necessarily blow them out completely. They, they have some really nice quality wins, right? But they haven't necessarily had any blowouts. Now they blow out Oklahoma State and they jump. They literally just jumped, I think, seven spots overnight in Ken Palm. So, uh, yeah, I think, and, and Graham Dorn again, I got sidetracked here, but Graham Dorn again kind of gave the answer of, I think the metrics and that stuff and analytics, that stuff does factor in a little bit into seeding in the NCAA tournament and whatnot. Uh, but I, I think at the end of the day, if you have a strong record and you know that you like that, then that 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 I think I think it should carry more weight. I don't know that it, that it necessarily always does. Uh, I mean, for example, you look at I mean last year is a great example, right? I mean, I think a lot of KU fans felt like KU should have been highly higher ranked, and you have Houston who. Uh, had you know maybe had some, maybe had blown out some really bad teams, but had some had some bad losses also. But it didn't matter because of the fact that they had a nice record. So I, I don't know. I, in terms of odd makers affecting a, turn, a team's tournament seed, I think. I mean, I think if you go down the rabbit hole of of viewing that as sort of a tinfoil hat type thing, you probably end up just kind of chasing your tail a little bit. Uh, I doubt it. I guess would be my answer. I, I don't think they probably do. Uh, and. Uh, with KU's poor record against the spread and whatnot, I mean, look at I mean, look around the Big Twelve. Around the Big Twelve, I think it's just tough in general right now because teams are losing on the road, uh, teams are struggling. But you know, again, you look at the you look at the UCF loss. It's not like Kansas was fifteen point favorites on the road against UCF, who again is one of the worst, or even the Oklahoma State game. Oklahoma State, one of the worst teams of the Big Twelve, but KU was still only a six and a half point favorite, which uh, you know seems seems low. But then you look at the UCF game; they were only a six point favorite. So it's just. I think, I think odds makers are recognizing like, hey, it's tough to win on the road in the Big Twelve right now. Uh, you look at you look at Baylor and Kansas State from last night. Uh, the, actually, I think towards tip off of that game, Kansas State ended up becoming favorite over a top ten team, and they and Kansas State obviously ended up winning the game. So uh, I, I think that's maybe more of it, a little bit more there. But in terms of KU with their net ranking and and all that stuff, I'm kind of getting to the point where it's like, eh. I don't really pay too much attention to where they are ranked, comparatively speaking, in terms of like overall. Because like right now, I mean, BYU is still sitting at nine in Ken Palm. I don't, I don't think BYU is better than Kansas. Auburn is at five. North Carolina six. Alabama seven. Like I don't think any of those teams are, are better than Kansas, truly. Uh, so I think it's just kind of a nah, whatever at this point. Uh, and, and obviously, that doesn't big picture wise. Whatever your Ken Palm ranking is, really doesn't matter once you once you get on the court. So I, I don't know, kind of a long-winded answer there, but that's that's kind of a little bit of my thoughts, I guess. Uh, here's an interesting question from Sam: If NCAA men's basketball were three on three instead of five on five on this year, 
Who would be the favorite to win it all? That is a very interesting question. I mean, I think you probably have to have... uh, I think you probably have to have Kansas, honestly, pretty high up there. I mean... Think about it. What, what's so? I think that obviously, if the, if we're three on three, it, it my initial reaction is this helps teams that don't have a lot of depth, right? That maybe have really really strong starting starting five, but don't have a lot of depth, aka a team like Kansas. And then beyond that, you start to look at Kansas and you think, okay, well, what would the starting lineup be? And in fact, uh, Derek added added onto this question as well from uh, <laughs> from home. Derek added in, who would K starting three be? That to me is the more interesting question because. I mean, I think Hunter Dickinson's got to be one of your starting three. I think Kevin McCuller's got to be one of your starting three. But, like, I almost wonder if your starting three wouldn't be better if it was Kevin McCuller, KJ Adams, and and Hunter Dickinson. I don't know. Like, does that... I I just... To me, I think think DeJuan Harris' value becomes greatly diminished in a three-on-three. So, I don't know. I I think your starting three would have to be Hunter Dickinson, KJ Adams, and Kevin McCuller. I think. You know, I mean, I think it, fa- it obviously favors guys that can run in the open floor and in transition and are explosive athletes. So I think, I think Cage Adams is a guaranteed start. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's maybe you could make the argument that you don't start Hunter Dickinson. But how do you not start Hunter Dickinson? He's seven two. I mean, how, you got to put him out there, right? He's an automatic mismatch in any situation. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I, I think my starting three, if I'm a KU, would be Hunter Dickinson, Cage Adams, and Kevin McCuller. And I, I don't really know what Dewan. I don't really know where Dewan Harris fits into that, honestly. Because I almost start to think even more so that like Johnny Furphy would be your first guy you'd want to go to off the bench in a three-on-three scenario if that was the case. So I like Kansas. Uh, I like Houston in that scenario. They've got a strong, a strong trio of guys that I think would be really, really good. I mean, you got uh, the thing about Houston though is. Houston would be in a situation where they would probably just be playing all small guys. And that would be, obviously, if they were playing Kansas in that scenario, and they let's say they're rolling out LJ Cryer, Jamal Shred, and like, you know, I don't know, Jawan Roberts or something. That becomes a huge mismatch for Houston at that point. If, if KU wants to roll out Hunter Dickinson. You know, you look at like a Purdue, they would probably still be pretty good with, with Zach Eady, you would think. The same thing with like a UConn. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe a North Carolina gets better. Because they have a couple of dynamic players with uh, with like R.J. Davis plus Harrison Ingram, like I think Baylor would probably be really good in a three-on-three scenario. Because again, same thing, some really explosive athletes and smaller guards. But again, I think if you're Kansas, you have to play Hunter Dickinson. I would think. I, I don't know. It would it would be very interesting how that would play out. Uh, you know, maybe we should get was it is it Ice 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 Cube right? The guy or no, not Ice Cube, Ice T. Or Ice Cube. No, Ice Cube. The guy that created the, the Big Three basketball, right? Yeah, yeah, Ice Cube. Ice Cube. You know, maybe we need to get him on the line. Tell him, hey, let's let's make a Big Three for college basketball. I don't know. <laughs> That'd be interesting. So, uh, this question from Alan. Would you rather be guaranteed to beat K-State and Missouri in basketball every time for the rest of time or be guaranteed to make at least a Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament every year? This is an interesting question. I think there's a pretty clear answer, though. So, you look at Kansas, obviously, and they are consistently one of the best teams in the country. They are consistently a top two or three seed, usually a one seed. 
And they usually end up beating K-State. And when they played Missouri recently, they usually end up beating them anyways. So I think the answer here is you're guaranteed to make at least a Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament every year. Because that that automatically guarantees that if you're Kansas and you're going to continue to be you know a 1, 2, or 3 seed, that basically means that you're not going to get upset at all, ever, in the first weekend. It's not going to happen. Straight to the Sweet 16 every year. And once you're there, man, you're just four wins away from an from a national championship. So I think that's definitely the answer because I like Kansas's chances to beat K-State year in and year out anyways. KU hasn't lost to Mizzou ever since, you know, in the last few times they've, they've played him anyways. So to me, I, I mean, for the rest of time is a long time. And I mean, imagine that. I mean, imagine, you know, in like the year 2090 and KU has beaten K-State 170 times in a row. Like that sounds pretty awesome. That sounds pretty awesome, right? But they might beat him 150 times out of 170 times anyways. That's that's basically, you know, kind of how it goes. I don't know. But uh, to make the Sweet 16 in the NCAA tournament every year, to guarantee that you're never, ever going to get eliminated early in the tournament. I mean, think about some great Kansas teams and some not so great Kansas teams, but think about some Kansas teams that have lost in the first weekend where it's like, ah, oh, man, you know, going back to like the early 2010s with like Northern Iowa, uh, you know, even even beyond that, you know, just if you're guaranteeing to make it to the second weekend, I would definitely take that because it means you're not going to get upset and already you're going to be in the second weekend and have a chance to be ready to play for a national title. So that would be my answer just because I think I think you're you're guaranteed to beat K-State quite a bit anyways. So who knows? But again, I do like the idea of in 2090. I, I mean, that when you put it that way, it sounds a little more fun to say Kansas on a 173-game winning streak over Kansas State, you know, or something like that. If you're playing them twice a year, I, I would assume still up to that point. But uh, I'll go with the Sweet 16 every year uh, in the NCAA tournament for, for Kate. All right, that's our KU mailbag here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk for today. Once again, if you missed out on the opportunity to submit questions, have no fear. You can still submit questions, and uh, we'll get to those questions probably next week as we do this KU mailbag every week. So thanks so much to everyone that submitted questions to the show for this week. I uh, appreciate the listeners, as always, for, for sending in questions. And again, hit us up on social media, RCSD1320 on Twitter slash X, or on uh, if you don't have social media, on our Gmail, uh, RCSD1320AM at gmail.com for questions. And if we missed yours this week, we'll get to it next week here on the show. I will take a timeout. When we come back, got a recap. Rock Chuck Pickahawk from last night after KU basketball's big win over Oklahoma State. And then later on in this hour, I get a little bit into some KU women's basketball after they had a game against Texas last night. And also, uh, again, a wild night around the rest of the Big 12, really, uh, in, uh, in the, on the men's side. I want to touch on that a little bit. In the 5 o'clock hour, we'll get to more from KU basketball takeaways from the game against Oklahoma State. Plus, uh, we'll get into some Bill Self audio after he talked to the media after the, in postgame after the win against Oklahoma State last night. We'll take a timeout. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Five o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer, Derek Johnson out. So a little bit of Nick Chalk Sports Talk for your midweek here. As a reminder, coming up after the show tonight from 6 to 7, Hawk Talk with Bill Self. You'll be able to hear that right here on KLWN. Kansas basketball defeats Oklahoma State 90-66. to It was never a contest. Oklahoma State did not want to be there. 
It looked like there was about 50 fans left in the arena by the time the game ended. Uh, they had no interest, and Kansas pretty much steamrolled them from start to finish. So let's get into uh, some of our KU basketball takeaways from this game. The biggest takeaway, I think, obviously has got to be Johnny Furphy, 15 points in the first half, but it was really more beyond the points that he scored. Uh, his rebounding was really good, had a nice offensive rebound. Really, the sequence, I think, for me, that was like, wow. It was the fact that he had he had a block and a steal that led to points in transition. He hit a three, and then he hits he gets an offensive rebound, passes it off to McCuller. This was 28-14 was the score at this point. Passes to McCuller. Furphy sprints to the corner. Nobody covers him. McCuller immediately kicks it back to him, and he hits another three right there. And that all happened within a span of like two minutes of game time. That was the moment where I was like, wow, you really saw it all there from what he could do. Had a big dunk early in the game as well. Uh, so it was really more about the points for me. It was about a lot of the other stuff he was doing that was really, really nice to see. 15 points all in the first half for him. But again, seven rebounds for Furphy, two blocks, and uh, two assists as well. The guy was just outstanding, three or four from beyond the arc. Uh, and of course, Kaylee made five threes in the game, and three of them came from Johnny Furphy. So uh, really, really nice to see. Furphy played 33 minutes uh, in the game as well after playing only 19 when he started against Oklahoma. Now, part of that was Bill Self said that Furphy was a bit fatigued, and he had picked up two fouls in the first half as well against Oklahoma. But uh, in this game, he kind of just ran wild. So that was, uh, I think, definitely the biggest positive because now you saw, you know, after the Oklahoma game, you're thinking, okay, that was cool, nice. Do it again. Do it again on the road. And Furphy did that. We'll see what he does against West Virginia, if he can do it, you know, for a third consecutive game and look like he's he's – really locked in and and fits with the rest of the four guys, the other four starters, then it's like, okay, nice. Now now we got something. So very impressed by very impressed by Furphy's play and uh I don't really know what else you can say about it. I mean he was really, really good. Now in the second half he didn't score obviously, but he he did what he needed to do in the first half, I think. Uh was was the pretty clear indicator there for Furphy. So he's got to be the biggest positive takeaway, I think. Uh, K.J. Adams also had a huge game for KU. Sneaky elite, really, I think, from K.J. Adams. 16 points uh, for him to go along with five assists, by the way, and uh, four rebounds, eight of ten from the floor. Hit some jumpers as well. The K.J. Adams jumper, okay, kind of cooking a little bit. That was nice to see. Uh, Really liked what K.J. Adams did. I'm going to throw Nick Timberlake in here as a positive. He only had the two points off that one monstrous dunk. But he had a couple steals, couple rebounds, played nine minutes, and it feels like Nick Timberlake is quietly putting together some games where he's not really going off and it's not popping as much, but it feels like he's quietly putting together some games where you can kind of see things starting to work a little bit more for him to the point where maybe he can turn into uh, somebody you, you look to reliably off the bench as a guy that can maybe uh, come in and, 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 and hold his own off the bench. So I think Nick Timberlake... Sneaky, maybe a positive in this game. Uh, another huge positive from this game for KU was a fast start on the road. Got up 6 nothing really quick. And then you didn't you didn't waver once you got up big. You didn't let Oklahoma State have extra life and let them get back into the game. It was a pretty dominating performance, really, from start to finish for Kansas. And, of course, the, you know, the reason that's a big positive is you look at KU's only loss in conference play, UCF, what happened? They let UCF back in the game after getting up big. So in this game, it was nice to see Kansas keep the keep the pedal on the gas 
here for the, the whole game and not allow Oklahoma State to get back into it uh, and really you know, dominate all the way through. That was a really, really positive thing to see. Uh, how about Dewan Harris? Double-digit double digit scoring for Dewan Harris in this game, 11 points. See, everyone knows the stat. KU is 9 bajillion and 1 when one scores double points. Uh, I think it's actually like 29, 28-1, 29-1, whatever. Uh, but, uh, you know, he gets 11 points, and, and uh, kind of on top of that, all five starters score double figures in the game for Kansas. Big positive there uh, as well for KU. And you look at uh, the rebounding, out-rebounded Oklahoma State by nine, shot the ball 62%. Those are also some other big – or out-rebounded uh, Oklahoma State by eight, actually, uh, and uh, had shot 62% from the floor. Those are some big positives for Kansas as well. But, yeah, the biggest ones I think has got to be Furphy. A fast start on the road, plus really once you got that double digits, you didn't let Oklahoma State have a chance to get back into it. And then Dewan Harris with his play. It feels like it feels like, you know, the microscope has kind of shifted off of Dewan Harris a little bit after people were really looking to him for uh maybe to point pointing to reasons why KU was maybe not doing as well. But it feels like he's kind of moved past that and feels like he's maybe playing at a, a little bit of a better level uh for KU. And and listen, man, I I don't think it's really talked about enough that it can be very draining to have the ball in your hands as much as Dewan Harris has the ball in his hands, right? When you are when you are the guy with the ball in your hands that frequently, that can be pretty draining. Uh, so it's nice. It was nice to see him have a, a solid game, four of six from the floor, eleven points. Uh, the the assist numbers weren't all, weren't really there for him. Only three in the game, but three steals for Dewan. So uh, I thought it was a good game for Dewan. So uh, in terms of the biggest negatives, obviously. Not very many negatives from a game that you win by 24. You're up by as much as 28. You pretty much dominated throughout. Uh, I guess for me, talked a, bit, talked a little bit about this in the open about, I don't know. I mean, I think it is I think it is a negative, but big picture, how much of a negative is it? I'm not really sure. But the fact that, you know, you're up by 20 points most of the game and yet still your starters all play over 30 minutes. Kevin McCord plays 35. KJ Adams plays 34. Johnny Furphy plays 33. DeWan Harris plays 31. Hunter Dickinson plays almost 31. So you were up, you know, 20, 20 plus, up by a lot, and you still didn't really get a chance to play your or, or really rest your starters or limit your starters' total minutes. But Bill Self kind of talked about this, and we're going to play his uh, post game audio coming up here in our next segment. He did talk about the fact that, and this makes sense that with the tough mentality that Bill Self would have, was that. Things were going really well, and so Bill Self did not want to sub. In fact, he didn't sub for the first 10 minutes of the game because Kansas was playing at a really high level, uh, and that makes sense for the type of coach that he is. But, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, again, it's a negative, I think, in the game. How much of a negative is it going forward? Eh, I, I don't know. I kind of, I'm kind of i going back and forth on that, on how I really feel about that because I do think you want to not have your starters play so much, but at the same time, when they're, when they're cooking like they were in this game against Oklahoma State, yeah, maybe it's fine. Uh, in terms of other negatives for the game, uh, Jamar McDowell didn't really do anything. Parker Brown missed a dunk. That was kind of I don't know. I'm I'm kind of grasping the straws here because again, you you really really dominated the game from the most part. Uh, I guess you could say there was that stretch towards the end of the first half that I think was a negative. Bill Self talked about this post game as well. Uh, KU was up pretty significantly towards the end of the first half, and they did kind of allow Oklahoma State to make a little bit of a push. Uh, to cut it down a little bit, it was so it was thirty-seven to seventeen, and then it was thirty-nine nineteen. So Kansas up twenty. So thirty-nine nineteen with about five minutes left. 
And from that point forward, you end up going to half, only up 15 instead of 20. Uh, so you did kind of let up a little bit, I guess, towards the end of the first half. But I, again, I don't know how much uh, of a huge negative that is. But uh, I guess in the game specifically, there was a little bit of that four-minute stretch where Oklahoma State was able to make up a little bit of ground, but then Kansas rolled in the second half more. Uh, so I don't know, a little bit of a negative there. Uh, in terms of the biggest neutrals, uh, I think Marco Jackson, probably a neutral in this game, only got to play 13 minutes, uh, you know, didn't really get a chance to, I, I think, get into rhythm, but he didn't really do anything too negative. I mean, he had two points on one of three from the floor, did turn it over twice, but had a steal and an assist, so... I don't know, fairly neutral game here from from El Marco, uh, which is which I guess is fine. I think at this point for El Marco, anything that's not negative is probably fine right now from him. So, and I, I don't think this was a negative game from him in any sense. Uh, so I'll just say neutral, neutral for uh, for El Marco Jackson uh, in this game uh, off the bench. So we'll see what he can do against West Virginia on the road. Uh, free throws were kind of neutral for Kansas. You know, they shot 17 of 18 against Oklahoma in the win on Saturday. In this one, they were 13 of 18, so not quite as good, 72%. But Oklahoma State was only 75%, so that's that was I call that a neutral. Neutral in the free throws there uh, between the two teams. Uh, and then another neutral I thought was turnovers. Uh, so Kansas, we kind of talked about this. You can't realistically expect Kansas to have just two turnovers a game every game after what they did against Oklahoma. They ended up having 11 against Oklahoma State, but Oklahoma State had 14. But really... The reason why I, I put this as a neutral, but I dug a little deeper into the stats, Kansas was very good in terms of turning those turnovers into points uh, compared to Oklahoma State. Kansas had 22 points off turnovers. Oklahoma State had just seven. So when you look at the turnover numbers, you'd call that maybe a neutral, but Kansas was able to capitalize in, in transition and off turnovers a lot better than Oklahoma State was. So I don't know how much of a neutral that really is uh, in the game. But, you know, Kansas out-rebounded Oklahoma State, so that that wasn't a neutral. Uh, the, the crowd was totally out of it, so that was a big negative, I guess, for Oklahoma State overall. You look at the three-point shooting, Kansas was 5-13, Oklahoma State 6-21. Call that a neutral, I guess, uh, considering the numbers. I don't know how much three-point shooting continues to be. Maybe it's still a worry for Kansas, considering their low volume and, and the little numbers they're hitting. But they get, if, you know, you shoot 62% from the floor – probably going to be fine, generally speaking. So, I don't know. There's a, there's a couple of neutrals there from the game. In terms of the play of the game, you have the Timberlake dunk. Talked about that earlier in the show uh, where he just absolutely yams on uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Thompson, Bryce Thompson. Uh, you have the Furphy dunk early in the game in transition. Again, I think the, Furf- I think the sequence of Furphy in the first half to make it 31-14, to me, was the best sequence of the game from Furphy. Uh, you know, it, so he was it was, it was 25 to 10. Furphy, or it was 25-12. Furphy hits a three-pointer to make it 28 to 12. And then uh Bryce Thompson hits a jumper to make it 28 to 14. But then immediately after that, Kevin McCullough misses a three, but Furphy gets the offensive rebound and then immediately gets it back from Kevin McCuller and hits another three to make it 31-14. That was a pretty big sequence, I think, and a really great sequence from Johnny Furphy. So, again, I guess that's not really a play of the game, more of a sequence of the game. I mean, I think the Timberlake dunk has got to be the play of the game. Or, sneakily, Michael Jankovic three. I'm just saying, Michael Jankovic three. You know, how many you know, how many of those are we going to get throughout the season? He did hit one. Uh, but I think the, 
But Timberlake Dunk has got to be the answer here uh, in terms of you know what he did and elevating one-handed jam over Bryce Thompson and kind of what that means. Uh, you know, Bryce Thompson, man, is is a guy that seems to play well against Kansas, certainly after he left Kansas. But yeah, you have to. I think for Kansas fans, you have to wonder a little bit if he sticks around or what he could what he could have been really uh, for KU, but at Oklahoma State instead, and and on the wrong end of a twenty-four point game with KU getting the win 90-66 to over Oklahoma State. So I think Timberlake Dunk probably the play of the game. Probably the uh, the play of the game there uh, in terms of, uh, you know, just the with with authority. With authority. Uh, the dunk there from Nick Timberlake. That's our KU basketball takeaways from the Oklahoma State game. We'll get to uh, some heroes and villains on tomorrow's show and uh, we'll be previewing West Virginia coming up on Friday as well. Coming up on the other side, we'll get to some Bill Self audio. He spoke with the media post-game after the win against Oklahoma State. Uh, we'll get to his comments. And then on tomorrow's show, also we'll hear from Hunter Dickinson and K.J. Adams after the game against Oklahoma State as well. Didn't have time to get to it today, but we'll get to that on tomorrow's show. But uh, Bill Self coming up next on the other side. Uh, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Don't forget, you'll be able to hear more from Bill Self as well tonight after the show on Hawk Talk from 6 to 7 right here on KLWN. We'll take a timeout. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of your day and see you next podcast.